As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Show Women's World Cup Daily Quarterfinal Edition Part 1. The reign of Spain is showing no signs of strain as the Netherlands attempts to stop La Roca were ultimately in vain. Bierenstein did try to give the Dutch some leverage, but for now, Bierenstein is just how Germans prefer a beverage. Japan, meanwhile, will be feeling quite forlorn, thanks to Blackstenius, Ungeldahl, Hurtig and Bjorn. Japan were the darlings who were earning much acclaim, but today, they just didn't have a good passing game. So, the first semi is set and we're all agreed it's going to be very interesting when the Spanish play the Swedes. My name's Ryan Bailey, joining me today. He's your hero, he's my hero, his name's Taylor Rocco, hello. Hello, my friend, a lovely rhyming introduction. Uh, you you came correct with your Berenstein uh, puns, Ryan Bailey, I loved it. Thank you very much. Uh, thought I had to bring some Dutch blaze humor. It was going to be gold member related, but then I went that path instead. <laughs> Thought, um, I think that I'm was probably sure. the right choice for all the many, many, many people who are still in love with the third Austin Powers movie or fourth. I can't remember. I love gold. There Joseph Lowry, have you ever seen Goldmember? I, I have not. Um, I apologize I'd be so mad to let you, you down. I'd be yeah, so mad that's the one that I chose to watch over all the other ones you guys have suggested. I just want yeah. listeners to know, Ryan came in. It wasn't the first thing he led with when he joined our call, but he came in saying, like, there's one rhyme that I'm proud of, and I want you guys to guess what it is. And we all guessed, Ryan, because it was that good. Like, fair play. It was a great rhyme. You deserve credit for it. You called your shot. You hit your home run. Well played, sir. Thank you very much, Joe. I, I'm kind of regretting not going the gold member route because a gold member <laughs> joke um, does the contain copy. my favorite <laughs> movie quote of all time. Go ahead, say, say the quote. We my all favorite want movie to say quote, the quote of all time is Michael Caine, who plays Nigel Powell's Austin Powell's dad, and he says, um, <laughs> "There's two things I can't tolerate: intolerance of other cultures." And the Dutch. If I if I had a nickel for every time Ryan brought that up, either when we talk about an Eredivisie game or any World Cup or the Euros, any time the Netherlands are even tangentially revolved, involved, not revolved, I would have like probably 50 cents at this You'd point. You'd have 45 cents, I think. At if least. I was doing yeah, the quick math, yeah. I'm all about repetition, Joe. I'm all about repetition, Joe. Joining us today, Graham Ruffin. Hello, Graham. Are you feeling okay, Ryan Bailey? <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Everything's great over here. Guys. Oh, that Aww. explains it. That explains it. Uh, yeah, Aww. one of us has had three and a half hours sleep, and uh, yeah, it, it feels like it, it, it maybe on the face of it was you. Is that it, the, how much sleep have you had, Ryan Bailey? Watching I, these I games? did technically have three and a half hours sleep, but I also had another three and a half hours on okay. top of that, probably. So I'm and now you're okay. now you're just guzzling those uh, energy drinks. That explains it. Yes, I'm 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 high on energy drinks right now, shall we say, Graham, and also high on life. It's Friday. We're all together talking soccer. <laughs> it's wonderful, Taylor, isn't it? It's wonderful. I th- I feel like you still have Goldmember on the brain. I feel like <laughs> everything everyone has said, you have been like, yeah. But here's why I love Goldmember. Goldmember. Like, I, I feel like I feel like we're not going to get past this anytime soon. <laughs> I do enjoy those movies. They probably age terribly. I don't look forward oh, yeah. to watching them horrendously. Again. Uh, I would imagine so. Um, little uh, bit of business to get to: Patreon.com/slash Total Soccer Show for all our bonus content, bonus podcasts on there, video content. I'm going to Ace Wimbledon versus 
I think it's Wrexham we call them. America's team are going to see that uh, tomorrow. So I'll take a video there. Also, we've been doing a little bit of Premier League previewing in there in truncated form. Uh, Listener, of course, we usually do in-depth Premier League previews on the feed. But uh, Women's World Cup has taken most of our capacity this year. So we've, uh, in lieu of that, got a few um, a few previews on the patreon feed for you but of course we'll have a weekend review returning on monday taylor weekend reviews back baby yay <laughs> i mean i'm excited i'm genuinely excited it'll be good to have the premier league back uh, i'm excited to see some of these teams and some of the moves that have happened just really did not realize that these two things were going to overlap which they probably yeah. shouldn't i feel like yeah. like if if this were the men's world cup we would not be having any sort of overlap so it is a little bit frustrating that, that we have that. And we haven't even talked about the League's Cup or Lionel Messi at yeah. all on this show, which also feels like a strange thing to have not discussed. But I guess there's plenty of time still when they make the playoffs and Joe has to talk about Inter-Miami in the playoffs. Mm. It's not just the Premier League that starts this weekend either. It's La Liga. It's Ligue 1. Harry nah, Kane nah. might make his Bayern Munich debut in the German Super Cup and win more trophies as a Bayern Munich player <laughs> than he has won as at 10 years as, as a Spurs day. player. <laughs> in one day. <laughs> we should probably talk about the Women's World Cup at some point but Harry Kane last I saw seemed to be living life a la The Terminal that movie where Tom Hanks is stuck living (laughs) in an airport like last I saw he was in an airport but not allowed to fly but maybe allowed to fly I don't understand what's happening with Harry Kane. I'm sure we'll have some clarity over the weekend. I think, Taylor, you've actually described my life. I'm literally straddled between Italy and the US right now in in no man's land. So uh, maybe I am. You're right. I am just like Tom Hanks. Some horrible backwards country where you're you're stuck for the time being. Poor you, poor you. It's fine. It's just fine. It's just fine, Tater. Uh, yes, plenty more Premier League coverage coming. It will be interesting to see how this weekend pans out. Weekend review coming on Monday, of course. But for now, Women's World Cup, we have the quarterfinals, the first two to talk about here. Let's start off with US primetime slot Spain. Two, Netherlands, one. It still hurts, guys. It still hurts. Uh, yeah. It hurts for the Spain and Netherlands fans, Joe, because it's not uh, prime time for either of those two countries. I don't care about them, Ryan. It's not about them. It's about me. (laughs) Come on, dude. I I concur with Joe. It's about Joe. Well, to Graham's credit, he stayed up and watched this one. Didn't you, Graham? Uh, I now regret that decision on three hours sleep. Yeah, I wasn't convinced we were going to get a goal in 120 minutes of this match. Um, I think Taylor and Joe enjoyed this game much more than I did. The context there being that this match did kick off at 2am. For me, I did not want an equaliser in 12 minutes of stoppage time at the end of a match at 3.50 in the morning. But that is what happened. We got extra time. Extra time in this match, though, was generally quite entertaining. We got a winning goal. This was the exception to to, to Joe's rule. Um, but I thought Spain generally played quite well. Netherlands played quite well in periods as well. But I think, on balance, the best team, or the better team, has gone through yeah. to the semifinals. Yeah, Graham, I would echo that. Um, still, game-winning goal in extra time, that's awesome. You know what's more exciting than a game-winning goal in extra time? A penalty kick shootout. You just can't twist it in any other way. It might be the exception to the rule, but the rule still stands. Spain were the better team in this game, I, I think by a pretty wide margin. Like, you go back through and you, and you watch the first half, or maybe folks out there, if you're listening and for some reason you want to do this, you have a chance to rewatch the first half. It doesn't necessarily feel like Taylor's got a hand up. It's your job there. <laughs> maybe not the <laughs> listener's job. There, there were more chances for Spain than maybe some folks would have clocked right off the top. You know, they were finding real opportunities, especially with these weak side runs. So it was, it was Spain largely in their 4-3-3 shape that we've come to expect. It was the Dutch in their mostly 3-1-4-2 shape, but they defend in a different way. And, and they were really defending by marking player, per, player for player, easy for me to say, in midfield which was denying Spain any obvious progression through midfield. Now, Spain, because they're Spain, still find that stuff anyway. But really where the joy came for the Spanish in the first half was off of some weak side runs. Like the Dutch would try to trap against one side. Spain would find a switch and find a switch into the box for a winger. Often it was Redondo in the first 15, 20, 25 minutes. And she would have chances. Like the chances were there inside the 18. They just weren't finding the back of the net. And honestly, Graham, plug ears or whatever you got to do. I'm kind of glad they didn't. Because it kept this game poised on a knife's edge. Yeah. Like, I thought Spain were, were better by a pretty significant margin. But because they never actually closed the door on the Netherlands, it was Bierenstein finding space in behind. Ultimately, it was a center back finding space in behind to equalize. But it was always, like, tight in this game, even though maybe the chances weren't so tight. The actual gameplay, because the ball didn't find the back of the net until the 81st minute, was really tight and it made for a, a pretty entertaining yeah. game. 
I think genuinely, I think this is a things can be two things moment because I think everything Joe said is correct. I also think this game sort of went according to the Dutch game plan. I think that they uh, were recognizing that they were not going to be able to take Spain's game to them or play a possession game better than Spain were capable of doing. But this is a Dutch team that are very technical and can be very good on the ball if that's the way they want to play. And I thought it was interesting that they more or less did not try to do that. The commentators here in the U.S. on Big Fox, which was cool, uh, were talking about how the, the midfield for the Dutch was never really on the ball. There weren't many touches for them. That felt deliberate to me. It felt like they were going vertical, going direct. Yeah. Uh, and that had a few sort of uh, opportunities in the first half, I think significantly more in the second. And when I say significantly more, I think they went from like two to four. Uh, but, but I think the Dutch were playing the game they wanted to play. I think they were trying to sit off, give Spain the possession that Spain obviously wants to have, but not really let them get clear-cut opportunities. And yet Spain are so good in possession and moving the ball and then some of those switches that Joe talked about that they were still finding little pockets, little gaps, little openings. And I think that's what made this game so interesting is that I think the Dutch were more or less playing their game. They just weren't doing it quite at the level they needed to to fully deny Spain. And I think Spain were playing their game pretty effectively, at least in the first half. I thought it was very interesting watching this uh, with my wife. About halfway through the second half, she said, like, I'm, I'm getting bored. This game is now boring all of a sudden. And I think it's because the Dutch started to exert more control. Spain had uh, less possession, I think, weren't moving the ball as quickly near and around the Dutch goal. And, and so I think that the game got really interesting to me in that way as well, that it felt like it went back and forth a little bit, mm-hmm. not to say that the Dutch were ever ball dominant and really taking the game to Spain, just that I think they were able to control the tempo more in the second half. And I think it's a massive credit to Spain that they end up getting the win uh, even an extra time because I think they found their way through on a couple of occasions. I have a lot of mixed and conflicting thoughts about the way the Netherlands played this match. I don't think they really had any other choice but to, to play this way. Broadly mm-hmm. speaking, this is how you can expose this Spain team. I think it's 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 a fool's errand to try and go really toe-to-toe with Spain and try and dominate the ball and control the ball as, as they do. So they were always going to try and get in behind. They were going to go and go direct into Berestein. And, and that ploy worked a number of times. She had chances. And the first time we really saw it in the match was after 28 minutes when a long pass was lumped into space for Bernstein. It's, it's quite a crude pass, to be honest. It's just in, it's just flipped into a big a, a big part of the pitch for Bernstein to chase down. She she uh, uses her speed to reach it at the byline, then she squares for Esme Brooks to get across into the middle. And that was the first time that I saw that ploy and thing, thing, something clicked in my mind. I went, okay, this could actually work for the Netherlands. But where I'm conflicted is... Even though Bernstein has chances in this game and she was getting in behind and it worked to a certain extent, I'm not sure that we saw an approach that got the best out of the Netherlands' best players on the pitch. Obviously, Van der Donk, Van der Swimcap is suspended for this game, but there are still a lot of players in this team that had had good tournaments up until this point. Jill Roard had had an excellent World Cup in the hole, but it just never felt like she had an opportunity to to have an influence. Jackie Gronin's job in this game was essentially to sit on Bonmati and limit her time on the ball. And and she did that generally quite well. Bonmati, I would say, had a, had a quiet match until she comes off in the second half. But on the ball, which is what you largely want Jackie Gronin for, she wasn't really a factor. So while the Bernstein ploy worked, I did think it was a little bit one-dimensional from the Netherlands. I also thought Bernstein, in terms of her output, was quite erratic at times, even though there are some big chances. There's a huge chance in the 107th minute of this match where I think it's Paredes that steps back and allows Bernstein to drive into the box and she shoots wide of the target of the of the far post. And I think that happens just before the goal. Um, and I think Paredes probably steps back in that moment because other t- the other times that she'd faced that situation, she very nearly gave away a penalty at that time. Um, so while it worked to a certain extent, yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit yeah. more of a rounded approach from the Netherlands earlier in the match. We did see it kind of later in the match, but earlier in the match, I would have liked it. Agree entirely. And that's where I think Joe's point is is dead on. That if, say, the goal that Spain scored in the 37th, that is then a callback for offside, if that goal had stood and it was 1-0 at halftime, I think my understanding of this game is very different. Because Spain at 1-0 at the half are going to completely control the second half. Uh, and that's what I expected them to do. They don't really end up doing that, I think, because the Dutch really make a dramatic change, really go after them. Uh, but I think if it had been 1-0 at halftime, instead of thinking this is a really delicately poised game where Spain have to find a way through and the Dutch are, are like executing their game plan 
roughly speaking, it, it, I think it would have been a very different narrative. Instead, I was pretty excited at halftime. That's why I filmed a, a Patreon video to, talking about everything that was happening because I was I was pumped. I was less pumped as the second half went on. Uh, and then extra time, I was willing to largely ignore, uh, except for a lovely goal, which did uh, change things a little bit. So I saw a tweet from Kim McCauley at halftime of this game. She writes for The Athletic, and people on Twitter will, will know her. and She's very good. And basically, the, the gist of the tweet was, is this match any better if you're on drugs? At which point, I clicked onto Patreon, and Taylor's like, this has been the greatest game I've ever watched in the whole life. <laughs> what are you trying to suggest, Graham? Oh, nothing at all. Nothing at I, all. Man, it would have been fun. I try not. I try not to uh, to be under the influence of anything, uh, alcohol or otherwise, uh, when watching soccer. But uh, I was under the influence of a pot of coffee, so maybe that factored into my enthusiasm. But I think it's also just we've seen so many times in this tournament teams be ultra defensive because they don't have enough attacking talent to really make a difference. So they go defensive. They try to hit on the break. They try to hit on set pieces, and. The Dutch largely did that. It's just that they also have the technical ability and talent to do that effectively and efficiently. And Spain played some beautiful football in this game. Really, I thought were were just it was a great advertisement for the women's game. The way they move the ball, pass the ball, find yeah. those triangles, pass through. Every time you think you know where they're going to pass, there's another pass that opens up. And so I just thought this was a really fascinating game, a really interesting game yeah. uh, with a great conclusion. They just solve problems so well, right? Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. the sign of of a really good group of players is, yeah, the manager's on the sideline and there'll be some instruction coming from, from them, but the players are the ones on the field. They're the ones actually executing. And the idea behind a manager in, in training leading into games is to prepare players to problem solve. And when players actually go out and, and execute that well, it's just incredible to watch. And Spain do that probably better than anyone else, at least with the ball. Right? Other teams can solve problems in different ways. Sweden, credit to them. We'll talk about them later. Solve problems in their own unique way uh, today, yesterday, whenever that game was at this point. But Spain do such a good job of it, and it, it's just always a joy to watch. Yeah, and the other thing about the Spanish performance. So I think sometimes we can sometimes slip into a lazy narrative about Spain. And I saw it a, a little bit on Twitter of, you know, same old Spain having possession for the sake of possession. No, um, and you kind of talked about this at the top of your analysis, Joe, with the amount of chances that they created. I, I think that narrative was wide of the mark, certainly from this game, because <coughs> they created plenty of shooting opportunities. 28 shots in total, 17 of them from inside the box. And I think the Spain winner in this game from Palaueo um, comes from... A situation we'd seen a number of times where, where Spain were able to isolate one of the, their wingers against a Dutch defender. And this was an extreme example. And, and poor uh, Nuan has her ankles broken by Palawejo in that moment, who just comes yeah. at her with such speed and trickery. But that moment illustrate, illustrated how Spain can just, they can just hurt you in a number of different ways. They can pass you to death. They can have Bonmati score from outside the box, though. They can have Esther Gonzalez poach inside the six-yard box. They can have Redondo making those inside run inside uh, runs from the right side that Joe was talking about. Um, they have wingers like Caldente and Palawayo to drive at you when, when space opens up on the break, like this winning goal or transition. So at this point, and look, I, I realise I've maybe just jumped from having this opinion about Japan to having this opinion about Spain. Um, but it kind of feels like at this point, they are maybe the the the, the best all-round team in this tournament that is left. Yeah. Uh, that Annie Novon point on the defence, Graham, I've never seen someone so sold by a cut-in in the box there. It was devastating, wasn't it? It was quite a, a rough one uh, for, for the winning goal there. Um, yeah, I mean, and the individual defensive moment is not great from, from, from Novon, the kind of lack of engagement, but she's got such a large part of the pitch to defend against a player who can beat her on both sides and is driving at her at at speed and is inside the box so it is it's a difficult moment for her I think yeah uh Parayuelo uh with the goal is becoming the breakout star of the Spain team for me maybe one of the breakout stars of this tournament I believe she's also the player who gets down the end line and crosses uh that leads to the handball that leads to the penalty that leads to the first Dutch goal and she doesn't start this game I thought that might end up being a mistake though I understand why you might need to go with Redondo and Caldente uh it's one of them good problems there's a lot of good attacking play for the Spain team on that note I did keep thinking about like what how different this game would be if Van de Donk were playing and if um, and if Vivian uh, Miedema were able to play if she weren't missing this tournament due to injury. And then I thought about how Spain are missing, I believe, eight players from their usual team. So it's it's sort of maybe maybe a, a moot point there. They're both missing some talent, but it's a credit to Spain, and it's a credit to Parayuelo, and I think it's a credit to both managers as well. I thought this game was 
was interesting in that way as well. And that change comes right when uh, my wife said she was getting bored. It's a minute later that that change happens. And I think that is because Spain sense we're losing a little bit of, of the attacking game. We're losing a bit of control. We're going to bring in a, dy- a dynamic player to run against a, a tired Dutch back line. Uh, but then the Dutch themselves, I felt like, made uh, some smart choices, some smart changes. They go from a back three to a back four, and they move Vanderkracht up top so that she yes. can be uh, big in the air and win stuff. It doesn't end up uh, playing a huge part in the goal, but still, I mean, her being up top definitely does, not her being in the air. That was such a fascinating thing. of like, she's there for her aerial ability, and then she just laces one into the side netting. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> but the thing that I think was so uh, like well done about those changes is that once that goal happens, so often we see this when teams just throw the kitchen sink at the game even if they get the equalizer, now they've moved everybody out of position. They can't really play any semblance of a normal lineup, and they end up getting punished. I think Andres Jonker does a great job of changing the shape so that when that goal happens, when the equalizer occurs, he can move Van der Graak back, and they can still have a strong defensive shape. They go from that back three to a back four in a 4-3-3 is how I saw it. Then they go to a 4-2-2-2. So three different formation changes in this one from the Dutch, uh, some practical changes from from, uh, the Spanish. Uh, It felt like a very well-coached game as well. Yeah, I know we've got a break that we need to hit here, so I apologize for this. But just one last thing on the Dutch. Taylor, you mentioned the goal from Vandergracht. It's one of my favorite goals of the tournament so far because – of how like counter thought it is, right? How against what you think is going to happen? Not not aggressively. <laughs> it's Vendergracht slipping in behind the back line like a true center forward who knows how to make that run and, and can do it in her sleep. It's Pelova who I've really enjoyed watching at this tournament. Wing back for the Dutch is really really good, and I think she's going to play a bigger and bigger role for this team over time. She gets on the ball after Spain play long. Eventually, the Dutch settle it in midfield. And Pelova gets on it. She looks up and slips that ball in to a center back running in behind. It wasn't a header. It wasn't like, you know, just using brute force inside the 18 to make something happen. No, it was all finesse from the Dutch. And I, I love that moment, even though I think they were second best throughout all of this game. Even with some of those smart changes from Yonker, I think there were lots of good things for the Dutch here. They weren't the better team. This goal was awesome, though. And I have tons of respect to them uh, for them for pulling this off. Yeah. Real quick, like hold those paws up. Uh, how many of you all thought that she was definitely offside? Because I was like, oh, there's yeah. no point in even writing this down. That goal is coming back. And then I was like, don't celebrate. This yeah, is right? going to be chalked off. And you could yeah. see her looking like, is the flag going up? Like, I'm, I feel like I was offside. I could not believe that she held her run so well and stayed onside. And then that finish, especially since she's the one who concedes the penalty with the. I can't tell that's just VAR's angle, but it looked like the most deliberate handball ever it was, uh, for the yeah. penalty. So. It balances out in the end. A handball conceded, but a goal scored. I think that works well. It does indeed. A VAR review seemed to be the main character in this game, for what I could tell. Uh, so it was, it was interesting to no, see. No, it that. was Gianni. He was there. Yeah. He he, he uh, spent, found some spare time between drinking cocktails at pineapples to attend he, this he's match. On a, he's on a layover. Don't worry, Graham. He won't be there long. <laughs> um, Steffi van der Graaf, as you mentioned, getting getting the goal. A, a good redemption for her after that, as you mentioned, Taylor extraordinarily obvious looking handball uh i understand she's retiring from the international game as well so it's good that that her final game wasn't defined by that handball as well i do have one question about the penalty before i know we're going along we need a break but mariona caldente who was probably the main character besides the var review i would say are you allowed to no stop like that no in in a i i don't know what this is an example of ryan not knowing the rules i think because i I I didn't think think you're allowed to stop dead but she was so close to the line of stopping in the run right i thought i thought this might go to var i kept waiting to see because she does the run up but she does a strong stutter step it's not even the hop i'm totally with you ryan Mm. as i understand it you cannot stop your forward momentum once you start to move forward you have to continue that momentum even if it's slowed down even if there's a hop in there you are still carrying forward I'm pretty sure she fully stops and then goes again, which is supposed to be against the rules. Yeah, it was a it was a strange looking run up, but I guess it worked and she got away with it. Um, but yeah, there we go. Um, one of the some strange ones between that one and the the Dutch penalty that was then taken back for reasons for VAR reasons yeah. of sorts. Yeah, they just wanted to do some more announcements. Just wanted to make it more NFL like. <laughs> I, I can just only assume that was what it was about, Taylor. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Sweden and their victory over Japan. Back shortly. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. We're going to turn to Japan taking on Sweden right after Taylor's. He's going to take his Jerry Springer role and have his final thought. My final thought on this game is just, I like to give credit where credit is due. Uh, And I don't know if there were any specific prediction points earned in this one. But I think, I don't know if it's Joe or Graham or maybe just, or both. But one of you all has been beating the Spitza is very slow drum. And my goodness, was that on display in this game. She has a few different moments, but there's one in the 42nd minute that I noted where... Spain played the wrong pass. There is a player wide open on the right-hand side. They try to play a through ball that absolutely should not go anywhere, and it almost ends in a goal because Spitza is so slow that Caldente closes 10 yards on her and almost wins that ball cleanly. So I think it was Graham is the last person I remember talking about that back line, and my goodness, were you correct. Yeah, Graham and I will both take an honorary VSP point um, because you complimented us both. (laughs) Thank you very much. Graham, both of us. I'm trying to do us both a solid. Come on, man. Well, okay, fair enough, I guess. No, no uh, yeah, fair I, enough. I don't know if I, uh, I, I don't think I identified her, her lack of speed, but yes, I'd mentioned like th- at least three times that I wasn't so sure about her in that back line. So yeah, she was weak in this game. <laughs> All right, let us turn our attention to Auckland and a crowd of more than 43,000 who saw Japan 1, Sweden 2. Sweden no. in the semis for the <gasps> fifth time and the second consecutive time. Japan, the favourites for many, including this guy, are out. Uh, Arsenal's Amanda Illestead with the uh, fourth, with her fourth goal of the tournament. Philippe Angandal making it two from the spot. West Ham's Honoka Hayashi with a consolation after Rico Ueki missed a spot kick in this one. Joe, this was a fun game, was it not? It's uh, Japan maybe not at the level we'd seen previously, but Sweden, who, you know, you know, they're just getting more and more impressive. They're, they're getting, let me say they're getting more interesting as this tournament goes on. Is that fair? Not fun. Not fun, Ryan. I'm still stuck on what? fun. Uh, Japan lost. I think this is the game <laughs> that everybody around the world had most, even neutrals, right, had, had most found some rooting interest. I think this was the game that folks who would watch this competition, it's certainly a lot of American fans now that are hoping for some team to love again. I think they were on Japan. I think all of us were on the Japan train and credit to Sweden, right? I, I think they played a very effective and strong game. In the attack, I still don't really see it, frankly, but they found advantages in the exact ways that we've talked about them finding advantages, which is on set pieces, weirdly not from a header, right? Like not, neither of their goals in this game, which both do stem from set pieces, come from a header, right? It's, it's the first one, a, a ball bouncing in the box that Japan just can't figure out how to clear, and the second one is a handball that comes off of a corner kick that then Angel Dahl steps up and scores in the 51st minute on, in the penalty spot. So... <sighs> It was frustrating, I think, to watch as somebody that that has developed a lot of sympathies towards this Japan team. But again, Sweden did a lot of things well. And Ryan, to yeah. your point, I think they are becoming a more interesting team. I don't, I don't think they'll be in the final, to be honest with you. I think they will lose to Spain in the next round, despite the fact that uh, they seem to be riding quite high, certainly on the managerial side, after this performance. I, I think Spain are the far better team between these two. But Sweden have that X factor. Like, they are dangerous on set pieces. And... You know, they did a lot of good defensive stuff in this game, really com- congesting the middle of the field, forcing Japan wide. If they can replicate some of those things, they will certainly be in that game against Spain. But I don't know. I, I was bummed out by this result, even if, Ryan, to your point, the game actually was a pretty compelling one. Joe, I, I echo what you would say or what you just said. Uh, I think Spain still probably have the advantage. I, I would note that with Japan being eliminated, we're going to get a new Women's World Cup champion, which I think is, is pretty exciting. Please not England. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be fine. so genuine. <laughs> it would be fun if that's how it came home. Uh, but I will say for Sweden, I think there are reasons for optimism going up against Spain. 
Some of that is just because they get this win against the Japan team that has been so strong, but also because I think there were nuances to this game that I didn't see coming. Uh, the lineup would have would have them listed as a 4-2-3-1 Sweden, and I think that's more or less accurate at times. But also at times, I, w- I saw Aslani uh, go up and partner Stina Blackstenius, usually on the defensive side, so they would have almost two banks of four with the two together. But I also regularly saw Anderson, the left back, starting in a much more advanced position than Bjorn, the right back, who yep. would slide over. And then I saw uh, Angeldahl basically stepping <laughs> into the wide space, and they were almost mirroring the Japanese back three at times. And I think that went a long way towards allowing uh, Kanerd and Rolfo to move central and create overloads in the middle that Joe talked about. And, and I thought it was really fascinating to see how Sweden kept a lot of their identity, played, as, as we said, physical, long ball, direct, set pieces, but then also did a lot on the defensive side to really nullify everything we've seen Japan do. They have a few moments in the opening 15, uh, the Japanese team, where I saw them moving the ball quickly, the way we've seen them, finding passes that I did not expect them to find, and hitting some switches, I think sometimes under hit, sometimes hit behind the player, but there was it was still there. And then Sweden just really took the game to them. And, and I think right up until Japan made some changes and, and threw everything they could at this one, Sweden were just the dominant team, a thing I did not see coming, but yeah. credit to them for making that happen. And and Peter Gerhardsen must be feeling pretty smug after yeah. this game because he was he was giving it big talk before this match. He said that Sweden had a game plan that would work, and my eyebrows were raised, Carlo Ancelotti style, at that remark. But hey, he was proved correct. As you say, Taylor, they were much more aggressive in this game than I have seen. I didn't watch the Italy game um, live, um, so I don't know whether this was more in line with what they produced against Italy, but I hadn't seen this level of aggression from them. I hadn't even seen this level of creativity or or, or control from them. So that was new for me. I have to say, I I don't think Japan helped themselves with some of their defending, particularly from those crosses and set pieces. We knew that crosses and set pieces would be a big part of, of Sweden's approach. And they did a good job of pressing home. This That advantage, the execution was really strong. Anderson and Bjorn were both dangerous with their crossings from the, the fullback zones. Obviously, Sweden have the height adva- advantage and Black Stenius is a threat and Ulestet, who, who has scored um, four goals at this tournament now, as you mentioned, Ryan, despite being a defender. Has that ever happened in World Cup history? Men's or women's? A defender winning the, the, the golden boot? It's a possibility for Ulestet. Um But yeah, Magdalena Eriksson as well, when she got forward for a set piece, was a bit of a threat. But as I say, Japan not really helping themselves they were they were defending really deep against the Spanish set pieces as they did for the I think it's the first goal when it, uh, which is a free kick in quite a central area they're very deep which makes it about who wins the the aerial duels in those moments when it surely would have been a better idea to push the whole defensive line higher and then Sweden are playing into space rather than into bodies and making it about those aerial duels so I thought as well as Sweden played there were certainly flaws in the Japanese performance both in and out of possession. Yeah, I, I certainly appreciate the Japanese for the, the last 20, 25 minutes when they really sort of had that real fight and got back into it. They came pretty close in this one with the missed penalty we mentioned, yeah. that free kick that deflected off the bar, the post and the keeper. Like That, that was That's pretty crazy. unlucky stuff. But um, I suppose, Joe, we have to welcome our new overlord, Sweden, because if they get, let's say they get to the final, they would have beaten the US, Japan and Spain. That is a path. Right. Yeah, that's that's tricky, right? You got to respect that. It's probably the hardest path any team could have in route to getting to this World Cup final because of how strong Spain and Japan both are, right? And it's going to be a difficult road for Sweden to reach that final in the first place. But if they do it, I mean, they're going to have a, a really, really impressive resume. What I will say for Sweden. I think they executed really, really well in this game. I mentioned some of the defensive side. They really compressed that central space to force Japan out wide. I think that's that's the secret, really, when you play this Japanese team, any team that wants to have the ball, right? If you can force them into wider areas, into lower-value attacking spaces, that's going to have a lot of, of benefits for you as a team. They really just tapped into all of their advantages. Like They tapped into the physical advantages that they had undeniably coming into this game, both on set pieces and with their direct play. I think they did a lot of things well. Again, I don't know if that's going to carry over into that game against Spain, but Spain are vulnerable too, right? Like we saw that in the early stages of, of, I believe, was it the Switzerland game where it is close initially and then not so close as the game wears on? I honestly don't remember they're blurring together at this point. But I, I do have a lot of real respect for what Sweden accomplished in this game. And if they can continue tapping into those edges that they will have against any team because they are unique in how they're made up, they're unique in their player profiles, 
I mean, it, it is foolish to rule them all the way out, even if they won't be favored from going from this point forward. Taylor, I, I saw an interesting comment on the Swedes uh, about the Swedes in that they came into this as underdogs. And basically, it was a fr almost a free hit for them this game because Japan was so fancy because they are the darlings of the tournament up to this point. They had less pressure on them, which maybe helped them in terms of the creativity they showed and sort of the shoulders dropping a little bit. Do you buy into that at all? I think I buy into the idea of like nobody believes in us and getting that chip on your shoulder of, of being... I mean, I did it. I sort of wrote Sweden off. Uh, I thought maybe the U.S. would beat Sweden and then the U.S. would lose to Japan. When Sweden got through, I thought like, okay, that's a good win for them, but I can't see them getting past this Japan team. And I have a feeling that is going to be largely the narrative against Spain, that it's going to be Spain are just going to dominate this game. They're going to play their game. They're going to make it to the final. And I think that does set the stage for Sweden to have the ability to play their game, to to be direct and see if they can catch Spain out and make them uncomfortable. That's what I saw in this game was Sweden basically just not being sort of overawed by the opponent. And then I saw Japan just start to lose a lot of the consistency we've seen from them. Kumagai especially, who's been so strong in her distribution, but also so strong on the defensive side, just routinely looked like she did not know what to do against Tina Blackstenius. And just long balls over the top that she was just sort of like, I don't know if I'm supposed to go or, or not go or track or foul. And and I think that level of confusion and consternation is not something I was expecting Sweden to be able to create in this Japan team. So who's to say they can't mm -hmm. do the same thing against Spain? Uh, I think it I, makes for an interesting matchup, even if I think Spain will complete four billion passes in that game. <laughs> so there, there will be elements of this game plan that Sweden will be able to carry over yep. into that semifinal against Spain. The way that Sweden were able to stop Japan from playing through the middle in this game I would I would imagine they will want to do similar against Spain and look Spain are dangerous in wide areas they like to get crosses into the box but Sweden with their physicality and their height which we've already covered and we saw in in, in this match as, as a factor that gives them a chance of repelling those crosses um so I, I that a tournament football is often about matchups like I think Japan have been on the whole the best tournament uh, the best team at this tournament but they've gone out because in part this was a bad matchup and I do Agreed. wonder if Sweden are also a bit of a bad matchup for Spain, even if they are a better team. Indeed. All right. Taylor, any more final thoughts on this game or should we uh, should we take a little breaky? Uh, so it's Ilish Det with four goals, uh, Kadi Diatu Gianni with four goals. Then we've got Haley Rasso, Bonmati, Hermoso Redondo, and Lesamer, and Lauren James all on three goals. I think Lauren James probably the least likely to score any more goals in this tournament. Hatchik but, uh, in the final, baby. Ilishtet, man, Ilishtet could get one or two more. Uh, they got, I think, two of their three goals against Italy came from set pieces. Uh, they yeah. capitalize on opportunities here. I could see them doing the same thing against Spain. So Sweden have scored 10 goals at this tournament. Seven have come from set piece situations, which is quite the ratio. <laughs> it was, it was the Fox coverage again, which I, I should say watching the pre-show stuff was really good. They did a good job of, of laying out the key players, what the tactics were expected to be, sort of like what to watch for in this one. Uh, but they did go very, very, very hard on like Sweden set pieces as though it's just this like elite unit of who have all these play. And it's like, no, they're just tall and they put numbers in the box. Like, and I think the first one, it like goes out for a court or for a goal kick. Like they don't hit it inbounds. It hits the side ending of the goal. And there was definitely two Mississippi pauses. Both of the commentators realized we hyped that up a lot for them to just hit that corner straight out of bounds. Taylor, was this game on Big Fox as well? I believe so. And this might have been on FS1. I'm not sure. But last night's game was definitely on Fox, as was the pre-show pre, pre -show stuff, which I enjoyed right up until Stu Holden did a 10-minute thing about going sailing. And then I did change the channel for a little while. I really want to see that. Was he, so do I. Was, was he, you know, singing Rod Stewart while he was doing it? How did it go? <laughs> Here's the thing. I can't tell if either or both of you is joking. Because I, like... Oh, no, I'm, I'm not joking. See, I want to see I do. There you go. Like, I feel like Graham is, like, secretly like, oh, no, I've been watching sailing my entire life. Since I was two <laughs> months old, I've been into sailing. How did you not know that? No, not into sailing, but you sold it as Stuart Holden doing yes, sailing. Yes, that I yes. want to see. <laughs> that was the key part of the equation for me also. Yes, I would like to see that. Um, but yeah, I suppose, obviously, big, the other game went on Big Fox because they were mm -hmm. expecting it to be the US game. And uh, I guess uh, Adam Scott and Craig Robson don't have a sitcom where they're hunting ghosts at the moment. So they had the slot <laughs> open still. I guess that was it. There we go. Uh, let's take... great. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to preview a little bit of that semifinals upcoming. And of course, our very specific predictions are coming back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. We have one of our semi-finals set. It is Sweden taking on Spain on ooh, Tuesday at like 4 a.m. Cool, 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 cool. Um, so what do we think about this, Joe? Do we, we have to think that Sweden fancy their chances here, right? Clearly they do, right? I don't think there's any uh, any, any they didn't? other path what if, here. What if they did an interview and they're like, now nah, we're done. <laughs> we got no chance here. <laughs> we can't do it, guys. We just can't. No, I mean, clearly they do, right? And... And as we were talking more and more about Sweden in the last segment, I think I've reversed my feelings on them instead of being irritated at them for taking down Japan. I've just decided to let them then claim the crown as my new favorite team and just lean all the way in to them just dominating on set pieces. I know, Taylor, you're talking about how maybe that was overhyped. Then you go out and score two goals on, on set piece adjacent plays. Like, I don't think that's overhyped at all. I don't think you can overhype that if you're going to score two goals off of it. So I am now incessantly going to be talking about Sweden and their set pieces at any opportunity. And any goal that's not a set piece, I'm just not going to count in my own mental tally. But no, Sweden clearly do uh, fancy themselves in this game. Even though I, I think Spain, as I said earlier, are the better team. In terms of the flow of this match, it's going to be Spain dominating the ball. right? One thing I was surprised about in, in Sweden-Japan is how passive Japan were early on. Not that we hadn't seen that in this tournament, right? We saw it against Spain to the nth degree, but Sweden don't really love being in control all the time, so I thought Japan would wrestle that away, but but they didn't. I think Spain will take control from the jump. They're going to dominate the ball. They're going to be in the attacking half a lot. The question for them, as always, will be, can they find opportunities? Will they find space? Sweden won't be as aggressive defensively as the Dutch were, and so that is going to make life more difficult for Spain I would still generally back their quality, and I think they'll be a little better equipped to deal with some of Sweden's advantages, their ability on the break with, you know, Blackstania streaking in behind and Aslani between the lines, also making those runs in behind, and then on set pieces as well. I do back Spain in this game, but, you know, Sweden have quality. They clearly have belief right now, and the pattern is going to be set. So it's about which team can really execute better and maybe gets a, a twist of, of luck on their side in this game as well. Indeed. Taylor, uh, obviously, we've got Australia and France and England, Colombia coming on Saturday. Uh, we could have a scenario with four European semifinalists. Take that, new world. What do you think of that? <laughs> I mean, we're just letting you all have an opportunity after it's been <laughs> Japan and the USA and the USA. Why not just let uh, little old little old Europe have a go? Why not? <laughs> Uh, I, I think I think this is going to be interesting because I think Spain, having already been punched in the mouth by Japan on the group stage, have had to adapt their game plan a little bit. This is something that was talked about on the Fox broadcast that they've dropped Alexia Puteas to the bent bench. They've dropped uh, Hermoso deeper. They've tried to have more numbers central to prevent those sort of rapid counterattacks coming right back at them. Uh, whether or not that works against a Sweden team that are content to go with direct over balls is I think what we dubbed them when they're not just like aimless long balls, but they're actually like direct balls with a purpose, which is to make the defense uncomfortable with Blackstinius running on. I think it, it could work for Sweden. I could also see Spain having adapted to what Japan did, not really being that flummoxed by it. So I think this could be a really interesting game depending on how much Sweden are able to like exert control and uh, play on that physicality a bit. All right, Graham, any any final thoughts on that semi-final we have locked in? I feel like at some point in this tournament, we're going to get a big game from Fridolino Rolfo, who's had like an incredible season for Barcelona, scored the winner in the Women's Champions League final. She plays for uh, Barcelona, so a lot of these Spain players are her teammates, so she knows them well, and... Um, Oh, who was it that was talking about spies in the team? Was it was it Yonker was talking about um, a lot of 
the Dutch players play with the Spanish team and he was talking about spies. I do kind of wonder if Rolfo will be a Swedish spy for this game. Yeah, I just feel like she's got a big moment left in her. She could be pretty dangerous on those those Swedish counterattacks if her and Blackstenius can find space as the Dutch did mm. through Berenstein. So I think they will be looking at what's what worked for the Dutch in that quarterfinal and they'll be trying to replicate it while maybe implementing a, a more solid defensive basis. Swedish spy who's also a soccer player. Fox, there's your next sitcom. We've got it settled now. <laughs> there we go. Um, one thing left to do on this episode, that is our very specific predictions for Saturday's slate of games, which, lest we remind you, Australia taking on France and England facing Colombia. Graham, would you like to start proceedings with your very specific prediction? Yeah, so I've been banging this drum for a few episodes now, um, so I look forward to falling flat on my face with this one, but I think Australia-France has potential, I think it has upset potential as well, so I'm looking at that match, and I think that France left side, the Australian right side, is going to be key to that game, so France like to get uh, Kashrawi forward, that presents an opportunity on the break, which I think will be where Australia look to hurt. France generally I think Tony Gustafsson will want Hayley Russell in that space on, on on the right wing so my VSP is that Hayley Russell who has had a, a generally a pretty good tournament she will have a tournament high three or more shots in this match I think if Australia can get the balance right that front four that they have that, that have um, kind of grown into this tournament with Caitlin Ford on the right Mary Fowler I don't know if Sam Kerr comes back into that front line it might be Van Eggman that starts and then Hayley Russell on the right I think that could set up Hayley Russell for, for quite a big game she could have space on that right side so she needs three shots total for me to get a point on the board I like I remember, it did you see Australia's coach in the press conference giving just another wholly unhelpful answer about Sam Kerr you mean yeah no I didn't see that I believe it was uh if Sam Kerr is able to go 90 minutes then she will play 90 minutes absolutely she's a 90 minute player if she's fully fit then she's gonna go 90 minutes and then the follow-up was like well, is she fully fit? To which I believe he said, like, ah, hey, you know, we'll see. Like, I think he is not showing those cards unless he absolutely has to. I think I've predicted Sam Kerr to start every single game at this point. I'm going to say she doesn't start this game, and we'll see what happens. That's not my specific prediction, but I will just say I don't think Sam Kerr is going to start this one. All right. Well, I'm going to jump in, if you don't mind, with my specific prediction. I do. Graham no. mentioned upset potential. In, <laughs> doing it anyway, Joe. Doing it anyway. Uh, Graham mentioned upset potential in this game. And that's what I'm predicting here. I'm saying it goes to extra time and Australia take this one on PKs. This is uh, a Brisbane home crowd. Very partisan against the French it will be. Not that that has too much impact, but 50,000 Australians, I'd imagine, could lift the home side somewhat in their home tournament. Less than a month ago on July 14th, uh, France had a warm-up game in Australia, against Australia, in Melbs, mate, Melbourne. Uh, Australia won that 1-0. Different context, of course, now. France arguably playing a lot more into form than they were at the start of this tournament as well. But I just don't think you can bet against a home team in this circumstance. Uh, France, I'm not going to say they're going to implode, but I think they have the ability to not function at their highest level in this game. I don't have a lot of empirical evidence to go on this one, Graham, but I just think upset could be here and some more penalties. You like it? When you said that that friendly match was played in a different context, I thought you were going to say it was played in a different shaped stadium, and it you know it was played in the Melbourne oh, rectangle, rectangular shape in April. And this yeah. what, what stadium is this being played in Melbourne as well? Is this in the Perth? This, this hexagonal? is in Brizzy. This is in Brizzy, mate. Uh, right, that okay. that one was in Melbourne. This one, yeah, this is an oval field. It's a cricket field they're playing on. They're, okay. they're changing the lines for this one. I didn't uh, see that's the big difference. Was a big part of the, the game plan <laughs> of the tactics. That's new yeah. to me. It's a tree with all the boundaries. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, Joe, your VSP, please, sir. Sorry, I'm still stuck on how we can rebrand TSS. Maybe TGS, the Total Geometry Show. I feel like there's something to that after this World Cup. Lots of shapes. Joe, you threw out rhombus the other day. So I don't. I don't I, I'm, I'm not. Like I'm not, not criticizing. I'm not throwing that. stones at okay. anybody here. Okay. I'm just saying okay. it might be time for a rebrand. My don't BSP, be a square, man. Oh, nice. Uh, no, never mind. It wasn't. Uh, England, Colombia. I've got England. We'll finish the first 90 minutes of this game. So I don't know if extra time is going to happen. I don't try to acknowledge extra time's existence. I will say England. Also, I feel like, as an aside, whenever I say that, it sounds like I'm talking about Extra Time, the MLS podcast, yeah. which I enjoy. I am not talking about that, to be clear. And if anyone tries to clip this to make it sound like I am... I'm disparaging them. I'm not attempting to. Oh, that's to. definitely happening now. I don't know if anyone actually thought that that's what I was saying, but it's not. I'm talking about the 30 minutes after the 90 minutes. I'm saying England will finish the first 90 minutes of this game with one expected goal. 
or lower in that tally. And I'm, I'm going to measure it according to FBref because that's where I look at these numbers and that just makes things easier. So I'm going to say they're going to finish with one expected goal or less. For context, that's not a lot. I'm expecting England to struggle to generate attacking chances in this game. Number one, they're without Lauren James. Number two, Colombia will force England to break them down. Yes, they'll extend at times in a 4-4-2 shape, but the impetus is going to be on England to actually do something with the ball in this game. They didn't do a very good job of that against Nigeria. Now, credit to Nigeria because they defended well, blocked off midfield. I don't know if Colombia will be as cohesive and as effective in how they defend, but I'm expecting England to struggle creating chances in a way that you know they didn't really do in the majority of their group stage. Like They found their form later on, even though the goals are limited in the first couple games. They had their chances against Haiti. They certainly came out and created against China. Nigeria was a down moment for them, and, and I'm thinking... Even though they might still win this game, I'm thinking the first 90 minutes against Colombia will be rough as well. So if England win this game, Joe, like if they were talking about themselves, they would say like, we'd be good from this game. And then if they don't win, would you say that they would say we'd be bad? Yeah. (laughs) It took me a long time to figure out. I just want to be able to clip you saying cancel extra time and we'd be bad. Yeah, they they would say we'd be bad. They would say that, absolutely. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Joe likes his MLS podcast hosts to wear socks, damn it. (laughs) Oh, Taylor, that was so good. That was so good. Wow. Nice. I think I gave too much of it away, unfortunately. Quality wordplay, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, we'll come to your VSP. I'll remind the listeners that I, on my on the quarterfinal VSPs we did uh, on a previous episode, I said that Kira Walsh will win five or more tackles in you this did. game. I believe your VSP is also pertaining to this game, Taylor. It is. And for for a moment, mine was going to be Kira Walsh won't win five tackles, but I felt like you <laughs> wouldn't enjoy that one. So I think Colombia will complete half as many passes or fewer than England. I think this is going to be England with a lot of the ball. And even when Colombia do create opportunities, which I think they will, they're more than capable of that. I think it will be much more direct, much more play the ball wide, play the ball in, uh, see what you can create, maybe capitalize on a set piece uh, or a free kick. But I don't think they're going to have a ton of the ball. So I think England will complete double or more the number of passes than Colombia. Marvellous stuff. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for VSPing. And thank you very much, listener, for joining us on this intrepid journey. Taylor Rockwell, legendary stuff as always, sir. Uh, legendary pun work by you. The, the square one was a good one, Ryan. I didn't laugh out loud because I was chuckling to myself, but I should say that was good work by you. Thanks, Graham Rudman. That's always a pleasure. A... <laughs> always thank nice you, Ryan one. Bailey. That's always a ringing endorsement. I didn't laugh, but I found it funny. <laughs> I, like, quite, I was like silently laughing and realized that did not show up on mic, so it just sounded um, like crickets a little bit. Taylor, that's one of my, my uh, uh, annoying ticks that Americans have when they say, that's hilarious. If it was hilarious, laugh. Uh, Joe Lowry, a pleasure to have you on the show, sir. I definitely do that, Ryan. Sometimes you just don't have the juice, man. It's like, wow, I can appreciate the humor behind that. I just don't have the energy to really give you a belly laugh. Yep. Um, but I will endeavor to really exaggerate my laughs going forward just to, uh, to make you happy. From the belly, Joseph. Thank you very much. Listen, once again, thank you for joining us on this journey. We'll be back on Saturday with a review of the other two quarterfinal games. I won't, actually. I'm going to be at the uh, AFC Wimbledon Wrexham game, but the other three gents will be here in my stead. But for now, bye! Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.